0: All right, now, now let's start this series called Scare Tactics. It is October the 1st. Y'all know what October is, yes? It's, yeah, well, I was going to say it's two months before Christmas. And two months before Cecil's birthday, yeah. A lot of people think of, I mean, we associate October with Halloween and all the stuff. And this is not a series about that. Although we could do one, but it would be short probably. Um, This is a series about Fear and shame and manipulation. Um, today is just a foundational message, and then we have four Sundays in October that we're going to do this series, because the fifth Sunday, remember, is family service, and we're going to do baptism. That's going to be an awesome day. We love we love dunking people, right? When We have worship going on. People just get excited. It's awesome, and we'll do um, appreciation and all that kind of stuff, and maybe eat some food. I'm not even sure what will happen. but So I've got four Sundays, so here's how this is going to work out. October 1st is today, and this is like the day we lay the foundation. Literally, the title is going to be, I think it's Cracks in the Foundation. We're going to lay the foundation this morning. Next week, we'll talk about fear. See if you can follow me. The week after that, we'll talk about shame. And then the last week, we'll talk about, right, manipulation. So that's how it's going to go. So today is just going to be kind of a, let's just lay the foundation and see where we go. Um... It's hard to be transparent when you're the pastor in a small town because if I say, I used to work at a church, <laughs> then you're like, we know that church. Um, but I do. I, I will tell you this. One of the reasons that, that this resonates with me is because throughout our ministry career, which has not all been in Albemarle, we've been other places, other states, but throughout our career, we have lived... On the bad side of fear and shame and manipulation in church, y'all. Turn to the person next to you and say, This might be about you. I, I worked in a church one time, no joke, as a youth pastor, and this was way back. So when I say that, that you could order tapes, do you know what those are? No, it's not duct tape. Even duct tape can't fix some of my old messages. Um, But you could, like, go back after the service is over and you could write on a piece of paper, like, I'd like the secretary or whoever does it to, like, make a copy of that sermon and send it to me. I worked in a church one time where um, I literally, my pastor would go back after I preached and he would count how many people asked for my tape. And then because more people asked for my tape than asked for his tape, he got me in the office one day and pointed his finger at me and said, you will stop trying to steal this church from me. And I was like, I didn't even start. (laughs) And I can tell you, I know why people, more people want to hear me hear my tapes than your tapes. And he was like, why? And I said, because you have to do it every Sunday. I just do it like twice a year. That's it. I promise. I don't want to take your church I've I've served in a church where on the day that I buried my brother, I uh, had to be there that night to lead worship for the Christmas Eve service. I didn't get that day off because, well, if you don't do it, who will? I don't know. Maybe if we just show up and I'll start singing, God will be glorified and we don't need anybody to lead it. I don't know. My point here is that God, I'm already sweating. It's because of the glory cloud in here. My point is that churches manipulate people. Can I give you some stats? There was a, there was a recent survey done by Pew Research, and here's what they found. This blew—well, it didn't really blow my mind because I can see why this would happen. Only two institutions included in the survey. This was about how much people, how much confidence Americans put in major institutions. Only two institutions have the trust of a majority of Americans, the military and small business. Trust in, and those are down as well. So it's trust in small business is down from 70% in 2021 to 65% this year, and the military fell from 69 to 60%. But those are the only two organizations in our country that people have, the majority of people have trust in. The other two institutions that ranked higher than the church also dipped. Police. Have you all lived in the same country I've lived in? Do people like the police? I mean, no, I know they do, but, like, would, would you assume that they do? No. Police are trusted by 43%. And the medical system is trusted by 34%. Those are higher than the church, just letting you know. Trust in a church as in, as the trust in a church is that 32%. Some institutions that are just below the church. Supreme Courts, 27%, banks are at 26%. Teachers in the house, man, I love what y'all do. Public schools, 26%. So teachers in the house, you're gonna feel my pain today, right? Because you're like, what I'm teaching my students is important. And one out of four adults trust us? The president, 26%. Felt like that was high. (laughs) No matter what side of the aisle you're on, I just felt like that was high. Um, Listen to this. Large tech companies, 26%. Organized labor, 25%. Newspapers, 18%. The criminal justice system, 17%. Television news, 14%. Big business, 14%. By the way, I'm just I haven't gotten to the good part yet, but did you notice that one of the two that the majority trust are small businesses? I'm not opposed to mega churches. I've got pastor uh, friends that pastor mega churches and they are great people. And I'm not speaking this prophetically. But there's more possibility for city impact and influence through small churches than there are through big churches. Because people are beginning to trust small more than big. Small businesses are trusted by 60%. I'm sorry, 65%. Big business, 14%. And coming in last, this will shock you, trusted by 8% of our population, Congress. I wasn't shocked. I was like, what? There's 8% that trust them? <laughs> What's happening right now? And that's terrible. I shouldn't joke about that. Because, again, there are people that are in public service because they got into it to make change. And then I believe that they get into it to, make, to have all the, the best motives, and then they get sucked up into that machine. And holy cow. Now, I'm a pastor. Listen to this. According to that same survey, the percentage who say clergy have high or very high honesty and ethical standards fell to an all-time low of 34%. Which means this. If I just look at this room and I take the number of people here, a third of you came in today with the expectation that I would tell you the truth. Want to trade jobs? But I'm here because I wholeheartedly believe that this is truth. And so I preach truth to a crowd, a city, a county, a state, a country, that two-thirds of them don't believe me to be a viable deliverer of truth. And teachers are one in four again. Like I feel that pain. So here's our answer to that. Our answer. So when I say cracks in the foundation, the crack in the foundation is trust. This has been so heavy on my heart since encounter, and again, because this I don't. We don't want to like. Make you afraid or scare you or shame you or, like, manipulate you. Again, like, nobody's getting to heaven. They're not getting a better seat in heaven because they came to all four nights of encounter. When I keep referencing encounter, it's not to make you feel bad because you weren't at encounter. It's just that something happened during encounter. Different than other encounters, right? Like, if you were there... It's like, if you know, you know, right? If you were there, you know. And if you weren't there, you're like, why is he talking about that? Because it was so impactful. And so even then it was like, God, how do I communicate how impactful that was for our church when we're all predisposed to not believe anything a pastor says? Or how do I say that was really incredible when... um, And I'll say this in a second, When the more adjectives and adverbs we use, the less likely people are to trust it. The answer is we've got to figure out how to rebuild that trust. But before we get to that place, when we hear stats like, I can't trust pastors, I can't trust teachers, I can't trust the police, I can't trust this, I can't trust that, I can't trust the president, I can't trust Congress, I can't trust all these people. Who can I trust? Who do we say we can trust? Well, okay, Sorry. I set you up for the right answer, but it was the wrong answer. I'm so sorry. Apart from Jesus, culturally, who does culture trust? I'll answer for you so you don't feel like you got it wrong. Ourselves. Well, if I can't trust my politician, I'll trust myself. If I can't trust my pastor to tell me the truth, I'll find my own truth. If I can't trust even that the Bible is God's word, it might just be some book, then I'll go, I'll go search for my own truth. And if I can't trust what this church says, I'll find another church and I'll try to trust that one. But eventually we're just like, I can trust in myself. Except we can't do that either. Is this too practical for y'all? A country that says, I can't trust you, but I can trust me, has turned the return part of business into an $816 billion a year business. <clears throat> Retailers. Expect that you will return one out of every five things you buy. Oh, but I can trust myself to figure out my eternity. You can't even trust yourself to buy the right thing. You can't even trust your neighbor when you have discussions about what's the best drink to drink. Coke, Pepsi, whatever. Water or bottled water, right? We, we can't even trust ourselves. Like we're in a, we're in a world of hurt, y'all. Because the enemy has eroded the foundation of trust. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people that are married and they're hoping to stay married. And, like, the issues are huge, right? And this, I'm not talking about anyone in this room. Y'all good? <laughs> Breathe. Let's just turn to your spouse and say, he's not talking about you, I don't think. But I'll talk to couples and I can, you can just tell, like, they are hanging on by a thread, right? And all I keep thinking is, like, man, if, if we could just snap our fingers and instantly restore trust and forgiveness, they'd be fine. It's just that it's hard to snap your fingers and instantly, right? What is it saying about trust? It's, it's easily broken and hard to repair. And that's kind of where our world is right now. That's kind of where... The churches right now so the answer to this can't be to trust ourselves the answer is not to make decisions based on fear or pain but to invite God's love into those spaces so we might be healed um I wrote this down listen to these statements The majority of the the tactics we use in church today, I believe are rooted in fear, shame, and manipulation. So I'm outing my profession. Is that okay with y'all? I'm outing my profession. Even when we don't realize it. And I would say the majority of the tactics that we use in church today are received through fear, shame, and manipulation. Even if you don't realize it. That's the filter. These are the filters that we have to bust up so we can speak and receive honestly. Here's the case in point. Okay, so imagine that we're done. You go home. You open up your laptop. You pull out your phone. You get on social media, and you read this post from a church. This Sunday will be one of the most, if not the most, pivotal moments in the history of our church. Don't Miss it. If you've got plans, change them. Do whatever it takes to be in the house. How do we receive it? Do we receive that as, boy, they can't get anybody to come to church. They are trying everything possible to convince me that I need to be there. They're just trying to manipulate me. And if we receive it that way, it could be that we are broken. But if the church posted it as a way to trick people into canceling their vacation plans so they will come to church to just be in the room so they can post a picture with themselves saying, Packed house tonight, hashtag I'm the best pastor ever, then the church is guilty of fear and shame and manipulation. You see why there's a problem? (laughs) See why we need this series? Because we need to get to the place where what if it, what if, just hang with me here, what if something was actually happening in the church? And leadership felt like it was actually so important that they needed to try to communicate that importance. And nobody could receive it because everybody's used to churches over-promising and under-delivering. Do you see how the enemy uses fear, shame, and manipulation to ruin things before they even get started? I'd like to tell you that that's a made-up post, but I think if I go back a few years, I probably posted that. And got called out for manipulating people. And I was like, no, really. This coming Sunday is actually one of the most pivotal messages in the history of our church, but it couldn't be received because the filter was so broken. Okay, we need to turn to the Word. We need the Bible. So, um, turn to First John chapter four. This is gonna, I'm gonna make y'all. This is going to make you feel like you're a Bible student, right? So our technical scripture today is 1 John 4, 16b. Does anybody know what B means? <laughs> it means I better be changing my underwear. <laughs> wow, that scared me. Um, yeah, so B means the second part of the verse. If You probably all knew that, but... 1 John 4 verses 16 to 18, but it's really 16b. You're going to hear this passage of scripture a lot um, over the next four weeks, but we'll just kind of introduce it today. I don't want to talk too much about fear because that's what next week's for, but first John chapter four, verses sixteen to eighteen says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Of the Bible. Y'all like the Bible? I'm even a bigger proponent of just reading the Bible and going, Oh, it sounds like it means this, because it probably does. Right? We again, whether whether pastors mean to or not, we twist, sometimes we proof text, and that just means like I've got something I really want to say to my church, and I'm gonna find a verse that backs it up, right? It doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It just means that maybe that's not the best way to use the Bible, right? That's kind of like walking in and going, saying, telling, your, telling your kids, listen, there's something I want you to do, and you're going to do it because I said so. And here I've got this, like, I'm bigger, <sighs> right? It's like this bullying tactic sometimes. I think when we read the Bible, we just, just, hey, this is what it says. So the last verse of what caught my attention, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, fear um, is, we say that fear is like it's a normal human response, right? So, I don't want to make you feel bad because you feel afraid sometimes. But if we just go back and again, we'll break this down even more next week. The very first time fear is mentioned in the Bible, anybody, anybody want to guess when it happened? The first time fear was mentioned? In the Garden of Eden? When in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, when God said, where are you, right? So this is important. Genesis 3.10, it's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. This is after the fall. Just, I need to make sure, like, when we say things like fear, is just a, it's just an emotion, just a natural human emotion that we feel when we're afraid. <laughs> Somebody bigger walked in a room and we're like, ooh, he looks menacing or she looks scary. Ooh, I'm afraid. It's just, it's, and if you go see a therapist, they will tell you that's just normal. That's, God made you that way. He made you to be afraid so you can run away. And I just want you to know, it might be a normal human emotion, but it's a normal fallen human emotion. Because God didn't create Adam on the very first, the very first moment Adam was made. He didn't say, now be fruitful and afraid. Right? Fear was not part of that equation. He had no reason to be afraid. Because the God of the universe who made him walked with him in the morning. Everywhere they went, they went together. He had no reason to be afraid until after the fall. So fear is a normal human condition in our fallen condition. That's really important. Because if we take that to 1 John chapter 4, and he says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, then I don't have a big idea, but if you were going to write something down, I'd write something down like this. Fear is just an indicator that it's not finished. Fear is an indication to me that there's an area of my life that the love of God has not reached because it means I'm not made perfect in love. The last time that fear is mentioned in the Bible... It's Revelation 21.8. It just says that those who are full of fear and without faith, that's the phrase it uses, those who are fearful and without faith will be thrown into the second death. So the Bible starts without fear, right? And it ends without fear. There was no fear before the fall, and after the last judgment, there's no more fear. Fear literally is not my future. So does this mean that we should never feel fear? What do you think? No. If we weren't supposed to actually, if God didn't expect us to be afraid, y'all know this already, but you know there's 365 fear knots in the Bible? One for every day. It's almost like he knows us, right? He was like, y'all going to have to be reminded every single day. He was the first one to make a, a daily, like those calendars where you just rip a thing off, every day rip it off. So it's like, oh, I got this calendar from God. Day one, fear not. Day two, fear not. Day three, fear not. Flip the, the they're all the same, God. He's like, yeah, no kidding. You're going to need that. He, it's, so he expects it. But he doesn't expect us to stay there. Is this this making sense? He's like, I'm not, and I love this about God. I'm not shaming you because you feel afraid. But I knew that you probably would feel afraid, and so the my response to that is, fear, not, right? Like you don't have to feel bad because you're afraid. Just recognize I don't want you to stay there, so don't be afraid. We these songs today are perfect, right? We see a mountain. God sees a mountain moved. I kept picturing while we were singing, like, we get so fixated on the mountain, right? I said, move. I said, move. I said, move in Jesus' name. Like, we're so fixated on the mountain. I really think that we're supposed to lift our eyes above the mountain and worship the God who made it. He's bigger than that mountain. And as we worship him, that thing just kind of disappears. It could even still be there. It's just not relevant anymore. You have no part in my life. Just, I'm just, my eyes are on him. Right? So, 1 John 4 18. This is, um, this is the go to verse when we feel afraid. This is the more common Greek word for fear, it's the one that we get our phobias from. I'll give you a whole list of phobias next week. They're fantastic, you'll love them. Perfect love. And that means completed love. That's what that word means in the Greek. Completed love drives out fear. So fear just reveals, again, spaces in our lives that the perfect love of Jesus has not touched yet. How many of you, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but raise your hand if you're bold enough. How many of you were raised Pentecostal? Okay. You ever been to some crazy charismatic services? Have you ever been to one of those services where, like, I've been to these in youth group. The youth pastor gets up and says, I've invited a friend of mine to come and speak tonight. And he really, God really uses him in, a, in an area of prophecy. And then that guy gets up and he just starts, like, calling people out. Ever, how many of you have been in services like that? Like, that's where you're, like, on the back row and you just start repenting of every sin you've ever committed, thought about committing, might commit, since your friend's committed next to you. God, I know what they did last night and just don't hold that against me either. Why do we do that? I've done that. Did I do it because my heart really wanted to be like Jesus? Or did I do it because I was afraid that that man on the platform was going to be and you? Right? And that was the reason. I did it out of a, a motivation of fear. Not a motivation of love. The problem is, in the church, we applaud that. Disclaimer: If you leave today, scratching your head, going, "What is happening with Paul?" It's okay, right? I've never been better. I told Wendy where she's like, "How you doing?" I said, "I'm in a good hard place." That's the perfect. She's that's the perfect way to describe it. It's a good hard place. I'm so glad I'm here. Not y'all are I mean, just in my life, I'm in a good hard place because I'm like, God, show me the truth. About how you want to motivate people. Right? Because this is so deep in us. The, the, the enemy has done such a a job, a number on the church. I think next week we're gonna call the, the message death to FOMO. Do y'all know what FOMO is? I thought about doing NOMO FOMO, but who knows? That might who I don't know. No? You're like no mo of that, no. But FOMO is, is just an acronym, acrostic. I get those mixed up, but the letters stand for fear of missing out. Yeah, you know, the church uses this all the time. That announcement that I read to you earlier, sometimes that's the whole motivation is churches are telling you, you better get here because you don't want to miss out. They're not, they're not, they're not um, creating an, atm- an atmosphere where you come because you're hungry. You come because you're afraid that you might see a post the next day that you weren't in the building. And they're capitalizing on your fear of missing out while we get up and preach about a God who said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. What is happening, y'all? This is what's going on in the American church. And sometimes this is because we we are so compelled. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. Paul said, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. And we end up sharing truth. Like, I, we were in a meeting this past week, and like, did I not? I just start crying in the meeting. And everybody, everybody did this. What's happening with Paul? And I was like, what's happening with Paul? It's <laughs> like, I don't even know how to explain to you the weight I feel of eternity right now, the urgency that we need to get right with God. And like how do, I exp- how do I adequately express that to people without them make- making it feel like I'm trying to manipulate them into an altar call? Because I'm not. God doesn't want that. The last verse in Psalm 93, you can look it up later to make sure I'm telling you the truth, actually says that when God decorates his dwelling place, he adorns it with holiness. That's why he wants us to be holy, y'all. Not say you won't feel guilty the next day when you wake up after you had something to drink you shouldn't have had, maybe. Or the, the, the regret you feel five minutes after you know you shouldn't have yelled that at your kid. He wants us to want holiness because it's beautiful to him. It, like he's decorating his dwelling place. It says holiness adorns your house. I want to call you to a pure life. Not because you might get found out, but because God actually, like, loves it. And when his love infiltrates my life, I don't find myself like, quick, hide that from God before he sees it, right? It's kind of like, I'm busted. But at least I'm busted by a father who loves me. I'm not sure how to tell this next story because I'm looking around the room and there's some kids in here, but um, me and my dad, we didn't have the best relationship. I won't t- tell about all that. But I remember one of the days that was pivotal when it changed, um, he, he came back into my room and I was sitting on my bed and he was like, you know when your dad moves with purpose? Do you all know that? That's when the fear hits, right? You're like, he's found something. He's, the, the bear has the scent, right? And he's, He was moving right to where I was sitting. And my whole like, color just drained out of my face because I knew what was under my mattress, where I was sitting, which is why I was sitting there. And he kind of not so gently moved me over, and he reached under the mattress, and he pulled out what I was hiding and, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, just fear and, I mean, I didn't, know what to, I didn't even know what to do. I'm talking about jumping through the actual window. You know, that wouldn't have helped at all. But he just, he just sat on the bed, and this is what he said. When I was your age, this was a struggle for me. And the best thing you can do is take this to the trash can, throw it away. And never look at this again. I went to the trash can. Threw it away. It was just like so not what I expected, right? And I think sometimes in our minds we have God pictured a certain way that he just wants to kill us. He just wants to expose the things that are killing us. It again. We think God wants to kill us. He just wants to set us free from the things that are killing us. And he does that because he loves us. Right? And so when I, when I adequately understand how I'm loved by the Father, I don't have to be afraid of him, like, putting his finger on something in my life. I could even sit in a service where a preacher Uses fear, shame, and manipulation to try to get me to act a certain way and I don't have to be afraid of that because I can look at that ministry and say to my father, forgive him, Lord, because I know that's not how you communicate. But I'll still receive the truth and will you come now and begin to push out of my life the things that I don't need. I won't despise your truth because of the way he yelled it at me. Or said it softly, right? The style doesn't matter. The motive does. This is why there's so much in the Bible about motives, y'all. Listen to this and then we'll close. Listen to it from the message. 1 John 4, 16 and 18. This is from the message. Um, I feel obligated to tell you this. It's not the message translation. It's a paraphrase. Okay? So this is not. These aren't the Greek words. This is somebody who paraphrased it, and I think he did a fantastic job so that we could read it sometimes and go, oh, that's what they mean. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house because at home and mature, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry. On Judgment Day, our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death and fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. I love that. Love has the run of the house. Hey, Jesus, I want you just to seep into every area of my life, right, and let your love kind of squish and push out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And and when I don't feel that way, it it should be a signal to me. Oh, wait, God. there's a spot your love hadn't gotten to yet. So just however you want to do that, God get. Maybe that's why we sing songs like the, we have to repeat courses a lot because he's just working it down into where we are, right? Like, fear is not my future. Fear is not my future. It's like, fear not, fear not, fear not. I hate those worship songs that just repeat themselves 365 times. Fear not, fear not, fear not. It's almost like it was God saying it, right? Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. God, can we please sing something else? Fear not, fear not, fear not. God. This is crazy. This cannot be of you. Fear not. Shut up. Fear not. Right? Sometimes you have to repeat things because people just aren't getting it. And sometimes you have to repeat things because it's important that we get it. He's not like, you're an idiot. I need to tell you 364 more times. He's like, every day you wake up, you're you're going to encounter fear. You're going to encounter somebody who wants to manipulate you, somebody who wants to use a wrong motive, and so don't be afraid. I still think about that Sunday that Jillian walked up during worship and read from the psalm that said, The righteous need not fear bad news. And I was like, where was that verse? It was in the Bible. But I mean, why didn't I know that when I was in high school? And I get called to the principal's office. And you know that feeling? It's like when your boss goes, I need to see you. The righteous need not fear bad news. If you walk in the boss's office and he or she says, you're fired. What? How am I going to pay the bills with the God who always supplies? It just used to come through your job, and now it might come through the church, through a benevolence fund, through a friend through the mail, through another job. We don't have to fear bad news. Listen, and just to go full circle, and then we'll wrap it up, and I hope you come back next week. I hope this has been beneficial. Yeah. (laughs) Can't we sing another song? (laughs) Um, I, I so, we so desperately want our church to be healthy and free. The size of our church, that's up to God, right? But the health of our church, I feel like we have a lot to play in that. I feel a great responsibility because I've served on staff in churches where when the phone buzzed and and the secretary said, the pastor would like to see you now, I know what that felt like. I remember what it used to feel like when I would pull up to the church and not see the pastor's car. And I'd be like, yes. And that's not healthy. That's not a healthy church. And I'm not even saying it was the pastor's fault. I'm taking responsibility for my brokenness. I need to be healthy, right? And so we are in a season of I don't, this is not manipulation, right? This is just me honestly telling you what I feel like the Lord is telling me and our leaders in prayer. We are in a season of growth. And do you know what my greatest stumbling block is? Jeez, God, how do I start, how do, how do we start a second service if it feels like I have to beg people to serve? And then I, go, I go talk to other pastors. Like, what do you do? You just start the service, brother, and kill people? Is that too honest? I'm like, I think there's a better way. I think there's got to be this, like, I'm compelled by the love of Christ, not the ask of the pastor. I'm compelled to give when the offering plates are boxes on the wall or have to text it, Right? I'm compelled to serve because there's a need and Jesus met my need and now I want him to use me to meet somebody else's need, not because somebody got up and said, we're having a volunteer Sunday. Are you breathing? You qualify. Come join us, right? I just feel like we've set the bar so low and holiness adorns the house of God, a set apartness, uh, like in... Back to Encounter, again, the thing that blew me away at Encounter was when John Matthews said, these 25 people, (laughs) it's like all they do is go to church. And he wasn't making them. They're just hungry. And then they came to Albemarle and poured into us. Now keep going back to what John Bevere said. It's an honor to serve, right? And this is not a message to manipulate you into serving, right? At all. This is like, as the pastor, this is a message like, God, how do you want to motivate your bride to do the works that you prepared her to do? And if your plan is for me as the leader to feel dirty because I had to manipulate people to do it, then I don't understand that. And he's like, it's okay, Paul. That's not my plan. My plan is that my love will cast out fear and compel people to reach people. And I love, I'm love. i here for that, right? Like, sign me up for that. Okay, is that good enough? Is that a good start? Yeah, so cracks in the foundation. So here's why cracks in the foundation matter. I shared this with somebody recently that I was praying for. There's verses in in Psalms where he says, like, um, in a dry and weary land and in, like, the desert and all this kind of stuff, and that I thirst for you. You never really know thirst until you're in a land that's dry. And this isn't true naturally because we do have deserts. But just when I was thinking about that, I felt like God, he just showed me this. He's like, you know, when your soul is in that dry place, your soul naturally cracks so that I can pour oil and water down as far as it can go. And that's how I want to close this morning. I know that we have cracks in our foundation. I'm sure we have cracks in our foundation as a church, but I just mean like as people that are serving Jesus in America, we definitely have cracks in our foundation. We just read all about how nobody trusts anybody. And that's a crack, right? And one message isn't going to fix that. For you or for me, one series might not. But can we just stand together? And can I just pray over you? Um. Yeah. But just put your hands out. (laughs) Again, Russ and I were joking. Um, I told him like, I feel like everything I say this month is going to get judged, and not in a bad way, but like that was a scare tactic, right? Like he was manipulating us. I mean, I'm listen. I'll just tell you right up front, I repent. God has convicted me. I mean, I'm not even sure I knew what I was doing. If I've ever been a part of that, I'll just publicly repent. I want no part of that. I want no part of it. I want God to birth something beautiful in this place that we want to be a part of, right? And so I just want you to just put your hands out. I'm just going to pray that this would be a month when the love of the Father overwhelms us. You don't have to feel anything. You might. But if you don't feel the love of God, it doesn't mean it's not real. And just know that you have a pastor who rarely feels the love of God. But I know it's real. And his love has changed me. A lot of that has to do with how we're raised and the way we experience people and all that stuff. And even right now, as I say that, I feel like in the room, maybe you're like me and you're afraid that you're broken, too broken to be used, too broken to be loved or to be motivated by love more than the brokenness. And so God, in that place right now, I just pray First John chapter 4, verse 18, that there is no room for fear when love is fully developed. And so we ask that you would come, Jesus, with the perfect agape love of heaven and begin to overwhelm us as your children. We are your followers. Our heart is to be like you. So fill us with your love. And this week, I pray that we would have moments when we realize, whoa, what I just said to that person, that was from the love of the Father, and that you would begin to give us new motivation for the things that we do. Again, like nothing about this message is like, we've got a problem, we need people to serve, nothing like that. I just pray that it would just, what we do would be an outflow of who you are and the love you've placed in us. And that we would recognize fear for what it is. A signpost screaming, poor Jesus here. Because when Jesus shows, fear goes. So show up in our lives this week, we ask. In Jesus' name.